0: There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you? I know it seems crazy, but trust me, this is going to cause a sensation. First off, this movie, it simply cannot have any colors at all. Seriously, color is overrated. I mean, when was the last time you came out of a theater and said, wow, that acting, directing, and story were amazing, but man, that color, it blew me away. That's right, you never did. And most Uh, modern soundtracks, all those instruments, simply too many notes, if you ask me. So we're going to make this (laughs) baby with just one guy sitting on a stool, elegantly playing his didgeridoo. There will be nothing like it. An explosion, I tell you. The kids will scream for it at their local discotheques. Sock cops. Proms. The record will sell millions or my name's not Max Mike movies. And it's not. It isn't. We're starting a new series like we so often do. And this time, we're going to look at eight great examples of black and white movies. What better title than Monochrome, I ask you? One person who might have a better idea is my left-hand man, that guy who's spry with an eagle's eye, Max Two-Tone Levine. Slap us with some grays, Max.
1: (laughs) Yeah,
0: here's a quarter. Don't play anymore. Okay. And me, I'm the director with no inspector, whatever the hell that means. Mike, ready when you are CB loose. First up in this series is the 1949 classic, The Third Man. What? You've never heard of it? Well, you're about to. Right after this message from our sponsors.
1: Poll question: uh, I just want to make sure it's okay that I haven't seen the first man or the second man, right? Yes. It okay, is I'm f- not going to miss any of the plot in this one. No, because I look around, <laughs> I, I could not find them.
0: No, and you won't. But you can keep on looking if it'll it'll keep you busy and out of my Okay. Shall we get to the poll question now that we're oh, here? Oh, do let's. <laughs> So glad you're here. (laughs) Last week, we wanted to know which cinematic couple had the worst, most unbelievable chemistry you've ever seen. Seems like you smelled out some rats. First up is Tyler Stewart, quote, Lewis and Lestat in Interview with a Vampire, end quote. I can't Mm. disagree with that. Have you ever seen two straight guys more uncomfortable trying to pretend (laughs) to be in love? (laughs) Thanks, Tyler. Next, we have Dave. Dave! Who posted, quote, in my mind, there are certain actors who can't carry a male romantic role. Tom Cruise, for example, can't think of any time he was in a couple that I found convincing. Same problem for Tom Cruise's twin, Thomas Gibson. They are not twins, but both are and pretty we're boy actors. are not twins. <laughs> not he says they're not twins, but both are pretty boy actors that share a birthday. Cruise has more range than Gibson, maybe, but not much. I well, love the problem Darwin. is they
1: keep pairing they keep pairing Cruise with women. <laughs>
0: Now there's no evidence of that.
1: Sorry, right, right. Sorry, Harry. Allegedly.
0: Uh, meanwhile, back at Dave, love yeah. Dharma and Greg, but no chemistry between them. He is a good straight man, oh. and she carries the show. I suppose the same deeper. was true of Mark and Mindy. She was the one who needed to do deadpan well. I don't think they had chemistry, but it has been a long time. More no, recently, he's I just don't think. Wrong. No. Uh, more recently, I don't think Charlie Hunman... Uh, or Hunnam, I'm sorry, Charlie Hunnam, will do well in a role that requires chemistry with a female lead love interest. The good thing about Shantaram, which I have not seen, is that in the story he doesn't have a convincing relationship with his love interest. So I'm hoping that he can carry that role because I loved the book. The answer is on the assumption that chemistry refers to something in the performance that convinces us that the male-female relationship is a genuine romantic relationship. If you're talking about buddy films, bromances, or action films, then the answer would be different, end quote. Phew. Well, we uh, weren't talking about bromances, but that is a hell of an interesting topic. Thank you for the big answer, Dave.
1: Yeah.
0: Dave, Big Dave and his Big Dave answer. Yep. Adam Mark offered, quote, Podme and Anakin, granted, they hmm? had a horrible script and a past-his-prime director, but Christensen and Portman seem sometimes offended that they are in the same room as the other. <laughs> when I saw these romantic scenes, I prayed the film role would melt or something so that I could just go, end quote. Oh, boy, that is a big one, Can, Cripes. Uh,
1: cannot argue with that at all.
0: Would you like some sand? Oh, Th- <laughs> <laughs>
1: thanks, Adam. I truly, madly, lovely, deeply love Dully. You thingy.
0: Yeah. Val Coons barely snuck in with, quote, I thought about this and thought about this question. I know I've seen tons. I think just about any time there's a big age gap between the leading man and his romantic interest is bad. My example from last week, Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney in Wise Christmas, definitely fits. Also, Helen Hunt and Jack Nicholson in As Good as It Gets. That's not as good as it gets. Also, pretty much any time an ordinary guy snags a model, end quote. Good answer, good answer, clap, clap. Thanks, Val. Oh, I wasn't
1: supposed to say clap, clap. Don't don't remove glasses, look concerned.
0: No, point to Wally. That's another deeper. (laughs) Lastly, we have Snowy Vince from Snowland, who comments on the website... Quote, the leads in Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets had absolutely zero chemistry, and I even wondered if they were ever filmed in the same room because they seemed to have so little connection. I actually kept hoping one would die, so A, the movie might end, or B, another character with better chemistry would be brought in, end quote. We could not agree more, Vince. Thanks.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: What about you, Max? Uh, Who do you think had absolutely no chemistry as a couple in films?
1: Pretty much every allegedly romantic couple in Twilight. Especially, <laughs> especially you know, pasty McBlandface. <laughs> and, Wait, which one was that? Both of them. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I know Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart were actually going out at through at least one or two of the movies because she had not realized or at least accepted that, you know... She was more into into the girl who played Alice, mm. who, by the way, she had way more chemistry with. Yeah, I would agree. But n- n- not just you know uh, Alice and Harpo or whatever his name was, <laughs> her boyfriend and uh, Rosalie and Cletus or whatever the big guy's name was. It was Emmett. Emmett, do that's I know right. That. Emmett the Vampire. <laughs> but, <Hi>. Yeah. <laughs> Emmett, Emmett, who keeps giving you lines? I eat soccer balls. <laughs> <laughs> and even the mother father figure, uh,
0: Mr. and Mrs. Yeah, Vampire, em, yeah. Yeah, her. Mr.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Doctor and Miss Doctor and Mrs. Acula. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. No chemistry at all. You know who had chemistry in that? Charlie, the dad, and uh oh, Ephraim e Black, his uh Oh yeah, 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 Jacob's father. Oh no, well, not Graham Greene because he's only in like two scenes. Yes, yeah. but uh, uh, Jacob's father. The what? sorry to identify the guy in the wheelchair. Yeah, Lewis Black. <laughs> that was not Lewis <laughs> <Louis> Black. <laughs> Wouldn't it have been funny if it was? <laughs> that would have been pretty funny. <laughs> Great, my son's a werewolf.
0: So <laughs> you don't have enough problems. Yeah, that'd be that <laughs> been hilarious. <laughs> We've just rewritten Twilight, so it makes sense. Enjoy.
1: We, oh, I hope you, those of you who are—I'm <laughs> sure Hollywood's going to reboot it at some time. You feel free to use this. Lewis <laughs> Black as as the father of oh. Jacob Black. You wouldn't even have to change the name.
0: Nope, and they look so much alike.
1: Yeah, that that was. There's nothing. There's no romantic chemistry, and I and. It's supposed to be a friggin' romance. Yeah. Um, but about you? Who doesn't I had, work for you?
0: Well, Bella and Edward were up there for me. Now, to be fair, and just in case um, Professor Dr. Rebecca Pelkey's listening, she isn't, um, I have talked to her recently and gotten some insight from the book's because she really likes the books. And I understand that the movies do not portray, especially Bella, nearly uh, the same as they do in the books. So I'm going on the movies, and I don't think they have any chemistry either. I mean, partially because mostly what she does is look off to the side and mumble a lot. Um, But I'm going to say pretty much all the couples in the Harry Potter franchise, Ginny and Harry, um, Hermione and Ron, just don't... They make great friends... But we're yeah. all sitting there going, a lot of us, I think, we're sitting there going, um, Harry, you should marry Luna. You just, you Yeah, two they make had much real
1: chemistry. P- yeah,
0: whereas Ginny is there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Again, a real disservice from the books. In the books, it makes much more sense. In yeah. the movies, you're like, okay, you're doing this because it's in the book, and that's yeah. it.
0: And, of course, Podman, Anakin. I mean, that the film really relies on, or the films rely on that <laughs> relationship. And when they first meet... And your, your thought is, boy, I bet when he gets older, he's going to ask her out. It's more like, I wonder how long she's babysitting him. <laughs> yeah. Because she's supposed to be 14 in that. He's nine. <laughs> yeah, but she's supposed to be 14.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I've never seen a 14-year-old who looked like Natalie Portman in her late 20s, early 30s.
0: Yeah, so just no. Um, but those are some of the biggies. And, of course, there's plenty of others. But those ones... Yeah, they they leapt to mine. But uh, thanks again for all your answers. Yes, thank you so much. They're always delightful and surprising, but we're not done with you yet. We need to know more. Or... What is your favorite black and white film? When does color not matter because black and white is all you need? Do let us know. We'll stuff your pockets with bucks. Bumpy bucks, that is. The cryptocurrency that's somehow not burning to a crisp this week. But right now, we need to talk about something even more trivial. The facts. Budget. Couldn't find one, but this is the late 40s, huh. so how much could it cost?
1: Take yeah, 1.4
0: million, which for the hey, time... That's,
1: that's quite a bit.
0: Yeah, that's kind of a lot. Hey, those amazing sewer tunnels at the end of the film are real and are regularly patrolled because of criminals. The extras in the hunt for Harry Lime were off-duty police officers. Oh. Mm. Oh, and those sewers, they're not really sewers. They're actually a way of redirecting the entire river veen.
1: Yeah, which is probably why the, the water in there, well, it didn't look like sewage. It looked like water.
0: No, um, even if it rhymes with newage. Oops! Uh, and apparently, yeah, Orson didn't want to film down there, so, uh, yeah. Orson Welles, speaking of good old Orson, who plays Harry Lyme, was only on set for a week. Wow, yeah. In another case of, I wish I hadn't done that, Welles was offered either a salary or points in the movie... He took the salary and always wished he'd taken the points after the film was a hit.
1: And that's why he ended up ruined and poor.
0: (laughs) Sorry, Donald Sutherland. Okay, no, (laughs) he (laughs) didn't. Don't cry too hard for Orson. The actor found a way to profit a little further from his five-minute part, and he is only on screen for five minutes. He made up a radio show called The Adventures of Harry Lime, and it ran from 1951 to 1952. Huh. Orson even wrote some of his own lines, including the last speech regarding Switzerland and the cuckoo clock. And uh, speaking of Wells not wanting to film the sewers, that's uh, not him. It's a body double. In fact, at some points, it's director Carol Reed in a big coat. Um, he filmed all his cl- In fact, because he said, no, I won't film that. No, I won't. They actually had to build sets in London and film him there. So, oh, yeah, he oh. that,
1: Yeah, that's Orson Welles for you. Oh, yeah. Real easy. You got to work with
0: the one and only musician on this film, Anton <laughs> Karas, was discovered while playing at a production party. Reed, the director, liked him so much he initially had him come up to his hotel room to record some songs, then finally flew him out to London to record the whole soundtrack. This what wor- is he
1: playing? Is that a balalaika? It is a zither. A zither, okay.
0: This worked so well for Karas' career, he opened up his own club, which he called The Third Man, and which he ran until he died. <laughs> Oh, So, good for him.
1: I, I hope they had more than Zither music.
0: <laughs> we'll get to that. In Vienna, this film still plays three times a week in one of its oldest theaters. Oh. <laughs> we almost got Jimmy Stewart in Joseph Cotton's role, but as Cotton was under contract and Stewart wasn't, well, things turned out as they did.
1: And That'd be a different movie.
0: Yeah, I think for the for better. The Harry, ball. what? Well, Harry, what are you doing? <laughs> Harry! Oh. <laughs> Don't you know me, Harry? Um... <laughs> That was our brilliant uh, Jimmy yep. Stewart impersonations. Uh, this was Uncanny. 1949's top film, at oh, least wow. in the UK. Oh. This is one of Akira Kurosawa's favorite films. And oh, su- wow. And supposedly, this is Roger Ebert's favorite film. So, we have two Bond alums here, and both went into <laughs> playing M. We have Bernard Lee and Robert Brown, who I believe played him during the. I'm trying to think, was it the um Remington Steele years or was no, I think it was the, uh, <laughs> Pierce, Pierce the Brosnan, um, Timothy Dalton years but
1: uh, okay as a I great I don't remember st- him at all
0: Robert Brown. There's a name that just sticks with you, doesn't it? Uh, As a great start to our series, this film won an Oscar for Best Cinematography, and it's well-deserved. It also won the BAFTA for Best British Film, and the Palme d'Or for Director Carol Reed. It wasn't nominated for Best Picture, but it would have been up against some pretty big uh, competition. Sunset Boulevard, Born Yesterday, and the winner, All About Eve. So, yeah. They didn't have a... uh, best Oscar for foreign film that in that way. So I think yeah. that's because it was a British film. That's why it didn't qualify for that, I guess. But
1: Oh, really? Yeah. yeah.
0: Do you know any uh, other trivia about the third man?
1: Uh, the voiceover, the narrator at the beginning who's telling the story, that's Carol Reed, Yeah. the director.
0: We don't know who and, he is, though. <laughs> like, he doesn't have a character. He's not Holly nope. Martin,
1: so... Uh, nope, it's just But it's so odd because it's done like some guy in a bar it's not like you know the plane to Lisbon <laughs>
0: <laughs> and wait and wait and wait and wait. And apparently, wait. for the American release, which was a year later, the Dover dub for that beginning part was done by Joseph Cotton, which might have made more sense.
1: Yeah, I think it might have, but uh, the one other thing I want to say uh, or some that little speech of Harry's about how during you know the Medici era you had you know murder the Borgias, and, and, yeah the Borgias and poisonings and all that, but you also had Leonardo da Vinci and the Renaissance. And yeah. Switzerland's had 500 years of peace, and what did that get us to cuckoo clock? Switzerland has not had 500 years of peace. That's absolute nonsense. Switzerland has been in a near-constant state of war for 500 years. That's why no one's ever invaded them. I they because were they are neutral in everything. Old, Huh? Not that they were they neutral. are neutral because every, every man, woman, and for all I know, child is a member of the armed forces. It's like Israel. Oh. Everybody keeps guns in their houses. They're required to by law. The whole place is an armed camp. Hmm. It's a reason the Vatican uses them to protect the Pope. Well, They are always ready for war, all and, the time.
0: And because of the cuckoo clock, they're always on time.
1: Exactly. (laughs) And the thing is, they used to be much more fearsome because they had those clever little knives with, like, they'd go at you with a corkscrew or a fish scaler. You uh, never knew what. (laughs)
0: Let's get to the plot, shall we?
1: Right, right. Plot.
0: (laughs) It's war-torn Vienna. Holly Martins, played by Joseph Cotton, is a two-bit writer of pulp westerns, and he's down on his luck. Good thing his best childhood pal, Harry Lyme, played briefly by Orson Welles, has sent him a plane ticket to Vienna with a note that says, Come on up, the weather's fine, and maybe a job. When he arrives, he's just in time for… Harry's funeral. At the gravesite, he is met by the local British officer who informs him that Harry's death by auto accident was the best thing that could have happened, and wouldn't you like to have a nice ticket back to the States? Martins is kind of crushed. And so is Harry's now ex-girlfriend, Anna Schmidt, played by Volley. No, no, not Frankie Volley, just Volley. Something smells fishy, though, and after a little digging, Holly finds out things the cops can't. Such as the fact that there weren't two men walking with Harry at the time of the accident, but three. Two they know, but who is the third? Following a gut instinct, Holly sticks around, trying to find out the truth behind Harry's apparent murder. Along the way, he falls for Anna, who herself is still pining for Harry. Things just get muddier and muddier when suddenly, someone steps out of the darkness, much to the surprise of everyone involved. It's intrigue and noir, all set against the amazing backdrop of post-World War II Vienna. Will Holly solve the murder? Will he be glad he did? And what will Anna think of all this? By all means, stay glued to your seats, because we put glue there
1: <laughs> the film so max did you see this when it came out <laughs> <laughs> why yes i did i rode my velocipede over to the nickelodeon <laughs> to see the latest kinetoscope
0: <laughs> did you go after your
1: ether frolic <laughs> i went <laughs> i'd come from an ether frolic <laughs> and i enjoyed a phosphate
0: <laughs> went to the flickers no, did, I did you
1: not see this when it came out <laughs>
0: yeah 1949 was uh a little before max <laughs> oh, I'm, a, I'm gonna get hurt so bad you are oh such a pitch. do you remember the first time you did see it and maybe why
1: well i know why because uh we showed it at a movie marathon and okay. i had never seen it and it was everyone always talked about it and i'd seen people make fun of it and uh I'd even heard jokes involving Harry Lime, mm-hmm. so I, it was part of the culture. But I'd never seen the movie, so I saw it originally on VHS.
0: Well, and I think that it was a film that was really big in its day, and then just kind of fell off the radar.
1: I don't know if it fell off the radar. It—I don't think they showed it on TV much, if at if all. If at all, yeah. I don't ever remember hearing about it on TV, but it was very much a part of the consciousness. Especially when people talked about black and white films, they always talked about the third man.
0: But it's interesting. I think besides you and me, if we ask other friends if they've seen it, in general, my, the answer I get is no. Or, yeah. or what film? What, the, what is the third man? It's not like Casablanca or Maltese Falcon where, you know, oh, sure, it was in the 40s and black and white, but everybody remembers it. And that may have partially to do with the, the quote unquote stars in the film. A lot of people mistake this for an Orson Welles-made film,
1: but he's... Yeah, they think he's the director or some such.
0: And and apparently there was a question as to whether he directed himself in this, but both he and Carol Reed said, no, 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 it was just Carol Reed. Yeah. It was produced by David O. Selznick, and apparently there was a lot of clash between the producer and director, mostly with the director getting his way. Interestingly, uh, I'm sort of jumping ahead, but there's a... The film ends with a very amazing shot, which apparently David O. Selznick convinced Carol Reed was a bad idea and he should never have done it, and Carol eventually (laughs) agreed with him, which is a shame, but we'll get to that.
1: Yeah, We've got...
0: Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Also, this was written, or at least one of the screenwriters, was Graham Greene. I forgot that. Mm -hmm. Graham Greene, Nobel Prize winner, Pulitzer Prize winner, Wrote a bunch of major, both novels and uh, screenplays. Also a spy, by the way. He worked for MI6 during World War II. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that. Huh. He was recruited by his sister, who also worked for MI6.
0: And later, he would appear in the Twilight movies.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wrong Graham (laughs) Greene.
0: Oh. (laughs) Let's get back to Lewis Black, shall we? Yeah. Yeah, so I saw this because this was actually my dad's favorite film. And his father had taken him to see it when it came out. And it was probably the only thing that my father and I ever bonded over. And I remember him taking me to it to, I'm sure, I don't, I don't, can't remember how long it's been gone. There used to be a theater right in Lexington Center. And it was a repertoire oh, yeah. um, theater. And I remember him taking me to go see the film. And I must've been, I don't know, 10? So the film, it was one of those things where it sat in the back of my head and just sort of germinated over years until I was old enough to actually understand it and care for it. So, but again, like you said, I don't think it's been on TV. Like, or it it was not in the regular rotation. It was not something that popped up much. So, uh... We like usually like to start off with the actors here. Uh not huge names. Joseph Cotton was, I would say, well enough known, but I don't think he's considered a big A
1: lister. Not then. He became much better known. He he was in a ton of stuff. Yeah. Oh. But I've, no, back then, no. He was I think it was fairly early ish in his career. Uh Vali, nobody who was she?
0: She's European. Yeah, I don't I don't yeah. know her either.
1: And uh, after Wilford, that let's see Wil- we have Wilfred Orson- Hyde white
0: <laughs> yeah Wil- who even though this was like 30 years before one of his appearances in a columbo episode already looks like he's 70
1: <laughs> yeah I-, I checked he was i think 43 in this movie but i don't think this guy ever looked young no i think he was born looking like he was 60
0: yeah and his part is is minor but enjoyable yeah. and and fun um It it adds a little levity. The film does not have a lot of humor in it. Not much. Yeah. Uh, We also get Bernard Lee, who, of course, would eventually play M. And he's actually rather affable in this film, as opposed to just grunty and grumping and stuff, which is kind of cool. I will say that the acting... And and then there's Orson Welles. And Orson Welles... And we shouldn't say that this is a uh, Matthew McConaughey thing. This is really an Orson Welles thing, because Orson Welles... Really, this is the first actor I remember doing this. When he shows up in the film, he waltzes in for five minutes, <laughs> grabs the film, makes it his own, drops it, and leaves.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of disturbing. He is having such a good time, or he looks like he is. And Harry Lime is, is so much more a vivid character, even though he's on screen, like you say, for five minutes. Yeah. He has a handful of lines, but. You forget about everybody else.
0: Well, we also forget that we think of Orson Welles primarily as a director because that was where his you know biggest name was. But he started off as an actor very young and oh, was yeah. considered really quite up there. Like I did, did you? Did he do Othello? Was that what it was? There was one big yes, Shakespeare he did,
1: in blackface.
0: Is him? Yeah.
1: Did you? Did you ever see it? I did not. But I've heard it's. I've heard it's amazing.
0: Yeah, and we may see him again in this series. Just saying,
1: yeah, possible, yeah, possible. But and but...
0: in, in when he was in, when he did uh, Citizen Kane, probably most people consider it his best film. He certainly does a great job acting in that. But Harry Lime, there's a scene there on this gigantic Ferris wheel, which until I think the Millennium Wheel went up was the world's largest Ferris wheel, and it's still oh. there.
1: Oh,
0: yeah you see him go through about three or four emotions in about as many seconds because he's, he plays this character who's supposed to be dead and his best friend, whom he invited to come and be part of his, it turns out black market network is screwing everything up by basically showing that he didn't die the way he was supposed to. And Hey, maybe he's not actually as all that dead as we thought he was. And they're in this Ferris wheel cart. It's basically a small room that goes around. It's that big. And, it's obviously occurring to them. They've known each other since they were kids, since they were teenagers. And it's very much occurring to Harry that it would probably be a lot easier for everyone involved on his side of the fence to just shove Joseph
1: Cotton out the door. Yeah, and Joseph Cotton realizes he's thinking it. But he never doesn't say anything. He does, uh, Wells does it all with his body language and his expressions, but Cotton walks over to the window, sticks his arm through, and like latches on. <laughs> it's like, I you I know what you're thinking, and I'm not going to make it easy for you.
0: And and Harry Lime slash Erson Wells is trying to keep everything as light as possible, and so he swings back to the no no no. Of course, I would never think of doing that. Such we'd a thing. never
1: hurt each other.
0: But you see such amazing depth in this Harry Lime this this slimy, charismatic, Wheeler Dealer character in the few minutes he's on screen that you totally get him. At least I do. Yeah.
1: At the end, when, he's, when they're chasing him through the sewers, he has this incredible capped, you know, cornered animal f- energy about him. Yeah. And most of the time, like, oh, we, we just hear about the character. We don't see him. No. And we grow to intensely dislike him without ever meeting him.
0: Yes. Um, because
1: his- he, he's an absolute bastard. It turns out he's not just a black marketeer. He steals penicillin from military hospitals waters it down and sells it to a- other hospitals who then give it to, like, children, and it kills them. Yeah. Or it doesn't kill them, but it doesn't, you know. Well, they sometimes die it from does. Pre- they, pre- they, it, they die from diseases that would have been prevented by actual penicillin.
0: Yeah. And yeah, and he doesn't yeah. care. He doesn't yeah. care at all. Well, and then we get Vali, who is, I think she does an incredibly good job because this is a character that, is very much was very much in love with harry and initially she pretends that she doesn't know anything about what harry actually did and for the beginning of the film i think we believe her that somehow she was apart from all that and then later we find out that she did know Yeah. but she loved him and she loved the man not what he did and she's utterly devoted to him and we see her initially mourning heavily um actually pining because you know that was her, I probably the only love of her life and then Joseph Cotton sweeps in and he has such a close connection to Harry Lime that initially she starts to soften a little with him and Harry who I'm sorry uh, Holly I do the same thing she does keep calling yeah. it the wrong name Holly Martin there is pretty much I'm guessing somebody who never has any steady relationships he he's a pulp fiction writer. He's not a very good one, or at least I should say he's good at pulp fiction, but he's not. He's good, good at, at writing westerns. Yeah, and I think it's really funny that uh, Bernard Lee's character as the uh, the command or whatever he is the, the, he's, he's the, British... the uh,
1: sar- he's a sergeant in the uh, British uh, occupying forces.
0: Yeah, has red. He loves him. Oh, I love. He's your a books. big I've... fan. Yeah, that's kind of fun. But the relationship between Anna and Holly Martins is really interesting. It's kind of a dance because as one of them moves forward, the other one moves back and they get, there is progress made and then things happen where, well, we'll get to the ending a little later, but I yeah. want to say, I've never seen Vali before, I've never seen her since, and I think she does a great job. And Alita Vali. Right, for some reason she just went by Vali in this film. But I want to say in, in relation to your very astute question of last week, the chemistry between them is really interesting do we believe they're in love at some points i think we believe that there is a There's potential poten- for yeah it. they've never but, yeah but it's important that there isn't the actual thing because that's where their relationship is the most captivating
1: it's very not hollywood you know no. in a holly in a hollywood movie they would of course be in love yep and this it's just like maybe yeah sort of obviously both very guarded very careful and doesn't quite happen. Yeah. yeah. What did you think of Joseph Cotton in this? I
0: think he was a great choice because he gives you the impression of somebody who's just kind of barely making it. Like he the clothes he's wearing right now are the nicest clothes he owns. We don't really see him change. He has a little overnight bag. Yeah. My guess is there's probably not many more past that. Like he's somebody who gets his money and spends it. There's no savings, there's no apartment. Yep i got to write Drink. another book because otherwise I don't eat,
1: literally. Yeah, because I've, I've drunk up all the money I made from the last one.
0: Well, and the thing is, is that he is apparently meant to be an alcoholic, but they don't really emphasize that as much as it was originally written. Well, but, given how
1: much everyone in this movie drinks, he, it's hard to tell.
0: Well, to be fair, half the time it's Calloway buying him drinks. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't really uh, blame him yeah. for that. So I think Joseph Cotton, I don't think you would want a big personality like a Bogart or a Jimmy Stewart or somebody like that. You want somebody that feels... Cheap. Yeah, or thin. And I don't mean by like their, their uh, physique, but I mean like a little threadbare. And I think yeah. Joseph Cotton does that really well. He goes from a little bit haunted to smitten to drunk, back yeah. to drunk again, and then... It's, <laughs> But I you think the, act, the acting in this is really, it's top notch, and it's not big names.
1: It, it gets me also, and he does this very well. And I don't know how much of this was him and just, or it was the time. He is the character Holly Martin is such an ugly American. Yeah, because he shows up in this country. He doesn't even try to speak the language. He's really annoyed that nobody that how few people speak English. He just. Bulls his way around, expecting people to do what he tell he what he says they should do. He figures I'm going to run my own investigation because I'm a Western novel writer and <laughs> I know more than these these silly police officers. And just doesn't understand why everyone just doesn't do do what he says.
0: Yeah, giddy up. There's also one other character I really want to bring out, and that is Vienna.
1: Oh yeah, it the lo- city here is a character.
0: It totally is. And this when it first starts the film is sort of take during daylight and then daylight pretty much goes away. And the (laughs) daylight scenes in the beginning are fairly shades of gray. But then once we get to the night scenes, the photography in this is
1: fantastic. So much work with shadows. I mean there so many just Things with people walking down the street, and you don't see them, but you see this huge shadow they cast on the building in front of them. Yeah. Or people hiding in the shadows. Yeah.
0: Well, there's one point where they're laying in wait for Harry Lime, and you see this shadow off in the in the distance reflected against the wall. And it's like, oh, here he comes, here he comes. And he gets a little closer, a little closer. And it's an old man selling balloons. It's hilarious. Yeah. And he just comes in, and he's... <laughs> He sees the cops hiding in the shadows, and he walks over, balloon, balloon, and it's <laughs> and like...
1: And he won't go away until they buy a balloon.
0: Yeah, it's 10 o'clock at night. What are you doing? Apparently, I, he was a well-known regular in Vienna. Like a lo- There was oh. a lot of uh, local people that they hired for this. Like I'm sure the quilt lady, uh, the
1: um Oh, yeah, landlord. the landlaid- landlady for <laughs> Anna.
0: Was huddled under this quilt over her head, and yeah. she's just constantly screaming about, Oh, these cops coming in, and I, this is terrible. You're going into a woman's bedroom, you can't do that. Uh, and my high school German was very useful at this point, but um, the, the also the way it's photographed, everything's off kilter, it's almost never level. And it's be- I, part of the reason I liked this is the city's not level, it's been bombed. They're literally filming in, it's like three or four years after World War II. There are piles of rubble in the oh, film.
1: Yeah. They were like missing. that for years. I remember my mother telling me about going to Vienna in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And it was the same with Berlin. There were just bombed out buildings just sitting there. Yeah, Buildings, big holes in the ground that used to be buildings. They, they just hadn't had the money or the, uh, or the resources or the time to clear it out. And yeah, Vienna, it looks like it's it's literally it's been through a war which it has and everything about it is influenced by that it's cut up into zones that are run by different countries mm-hmm. the russian zone the german zone the english zone american and zone. the american zone and there's all this political you know jockeying back and forth although i mean they portray it i'm sorry it's one thing about this movie they massively oversimplify it right cuz and everyone's just so like oh yes hello, we're Russians, we'd like this, would you do this for us? Oh, sure. But would you do this? Oh, sure. Everyone's just so, they all get along. It's like, they were at drawn daggers most of the time. It yeah, was it, uh, it was a powder keg.
0: I don't really mind that, the reason being is that that would have really distracted that would have been the, plot. From the plot.
1: That would have been and, a whole other story.
0: Yeah, but Vienna, and I hate to say this because it's in such bad shape, but Vienna looks fantastic for this film, for this feeling just the, and, I, and apparently he got some crap for this too, but the fact that he filmed off and off-kilter, usually as things get a little crazier, it's more off-kilter, but I think it really adds to it. There's some great shots of just close-up of, of local people's faces that are heavily shadowed. It's just, it's so striking, and... I've always liked the way Vienna looks. And, of course, eventually we go down to this giant aqueduct, which literally looks like a Roman ruin in that it w- mm. is, it's huge. And I didn't know. I thought we all thought it was just a sewer. And it's like, no, we diverted the river around under the city because it was in the way. <laughs> <laughs> so it's sort of like their big dig, really. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Instead of 93, yeah. it's the Vien. <clears throat> uh, so, yeah, just... And this is one of the reasons we, we wanted to do a series on black and white is, like, sometimes you forget how much you can do with just black, white, and shades of gray.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is a tribute, really, to the monochrome form. It's gorgeous.
0: Yeah. There's another character I'm sure that you really appreciated. Yeah?
1: Huh? The cat. <laughs> the cat was adorable. It and was. I, I was like,
0: why are you only in one scene? Well, and it's great because we see Volley, there's a cat, and uh, Joseph Cotton's character Holly uh, Martins is visiting her at her apartment. And the cat's sitting on the bed, and it's just doing cat things. And Holly goes over to try and make friends with it, and the cat's like, yeah, I'm done. And it jumps up on the window, goes out the window, and there's this really great shot where we follow the cat. We go through the plants and look down into the street, and what do we see? We see the cat down on the street walking Uh. across the street to something or someone off in the shadows. The shadows,
1: and Right before this, when he's trying to play with a cat with a piece of string, and this cat is the weirdest cat I've ever seen, because I've never <laughs> seen a cat ignore a piece of string.
0: Ours but it to.
1: does, and it and she says, oh, it, he, it only likes Harry. Yeah. And we see it go into this darkened doorway, and there's a pair of shoes, and there's a pair of feet and legs, that's all we see, and the cat starts batting at his shoelaces and purring. Yeah. And it's like,
0: oh! It is a great little... And there's It's a terrific here. reveal. The film is like 70, what, three years old? So it's a you, billion
1: <laughs> years old. If you don't know this part already, too bad.
0: And it doesn't matter. That's the no. Yes, there's a big twist in this film, but it does not matter. It's handled so well. But yeah, the cat. And even better, that's the shot we first see where it gives us a little... Didn't she just say that the cat only likes... I thought Harry... Yeah. Wait, what's yeah. going... Then we see a shot when Holly leaves the apartment, and he notices the cat, and the cat's still sitting at the feet of whoever this is, and it's just cleaning itself, but it's like, I am totally happy where I am. And it's just, it's just this great, tiny little detail that this film is full of, like that the cat just is still there. And it's probably the only reason that Holly notices anything, because he starts going, yeah, who's following me? Is that you, Calloway? What's going on? Yeah, he thinks,
1: you're a terrible yelling. Buyers.
0: Yes, yellow sets by. off somebody in an apartment and she turns on her light. The light shines right down on Orson Welles and everyone's yeah. just like, "Huh?" <laughs> and Orson has this wonderful little smile, kind of like, "You got me." <laughs> and the light goes out and he's gone. It is yeah. One of my favorite shots in the film is going through the flowers and then down to the street. Um I had a question so, about that scene though. Yeah. So Harry, everyone thinks he's dead. He's in the clear. The only people who know are two of his compatriots, the Baron Kurtz and the... um, Oh, yeah, and Dr. Winkle. Dr. Winkle. Winkle. So Harry's there. Is Harry there to see Anna or Holly? No idea. Yeah, I don't either.
1: A lot of his motivations are just a big mystery. We know he's basically a sociopath. I have no idea why. I don't know.
0: Because later when he when Holly basically says to the two compatriots, like, look, I want to talk to Harry, send him over to the Ferris wheel or I'm going to the cops. So Harry shows up and Holly is kind of fallen for Anna. And I think partially he's fallen for Anna because it's a woman that hasn't actually said no to him. Yes. And not that he's a great womanizer. I just don't think he has a lot of luck in that respect. And he's asking about Anna. It's like, What about her? And Harry initially is like, yeah, whatever. But then you see he actually writes a little thing in the fog on the window that says Anna, and it's in a heart-shaped thing with an arrow. So we don't know. And maybe he was there to see her. Maybe he would have told her. Or maybe he just wants to see that she's okay. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I, I don't think so. You see, I think Harry uh, that uh, Harry really is a sociopath. I don't think he gives, gives a crap about anybody. Yeah. He's, I mean, you talk about he doesn't actually try to throw Holly off the uh, Ferris wheel, but it's the first thing that comes to his head.
0: So yeah,
1: it, it'd be a lot easier. And even that little, yeah, I, I know everyone talks about the you know Switzerland, the cuckoo clocks. The speech that gets me is when he's sa- he's talking about when Holly is saying, "What about all those people who died?" You know what you've done is killing people, and he points out the window at the people on the ground, and they're pretty high up. He says, "Look at those little dots down there." Can you really tell me you would care if they just stopped? What if I say you'd get 20,000 pounds for each dot? How many would you snuff out before you you thought that was enough? He just thinks of them as like numbers in a ledger. He doesn't think of them as people. And that's the one time we do see that, uh, deep down anyway, Holly Martin... Has a certain decent streak because he's had enough. He's like, mm. he's talked, he wants to leave. And uh, they're, they are, Major Calloway's driving him to the airport, allegedly. He says, Oh, I just need to stop off someplace.
0: Yeah.
1: Stop off at a hospital. And he shows them, he shows Holly these children who have been victimized by this corrupted penicillin. Yeah. And then he's like, Okay. You know, you you bastard! I know you did that on purpose, but it worked. I'll help you.
0: Yeah, I will say I thought there was maybe one too many turnarounds for Holly. Like that seems very effective, but he's this is like the last time, and he he changes his mind a couple of times. Yes, I'll help you. No, I won't. Yes, I will. No, I won't. And a lot of it has to do, of course, with whether he thinks he can get Anna on his side of how horrible a Harry a person Harry is or not. And the answer to that is. No, you can't. (laughs) So that's the only thing I have that I would have fixed. Like the scene where she's going on the train, because basically Holly said, look, I'll help you, uh, Major Calloway, catch Harry Lime, but you have to help Anna out, who's basically, oh, it turns out she's Czechoslovakian living in the German zone, which she shouldn't be. She should be in the Russian zone where she doesn't want to be, and she has fake papers that Harry got her. Look, if you help her out so that she can stay free send her off somewhere else. I'll help out. And Anna figures it out, what's going on, and she'll have no part of it. She's like, I will not be the price for you selling Harry out. And she walks out. I wish that that scene had been the final turnaround and that that's when Harry comes in because there's another one. That's where we go to the hospital. So if they could put the hospital scene as the convincer before that, I would have felt things were just a little tighter. But that's like, a minor thing that's yeah, about
1: it I could see that
0: one of the reasons I think the film might not be as popular if modern audiences is, is while I think it's very well paced and I'm interested in the whole film it is kind of slow and there are some subtleties in this film that if you miss them they might make it less obvious what's going on what do you think?
1: yeah this it isn't a traditional American film I mean it isn't an American film no. parts of it do, do seem to drag, but mostly I feel it's heightening the tension. Mm. The big thing I still think is that final shot, because I could really see why people think it goes on too long, but I yeah. think it works.
0: So let's talk about this final shot, because this is a very important shot, and this well, is a that, shot you that, will not see in Hollywood.
1: <laughs> yeah, hang on. Let's, uh, there's one sequence I want to talk about before that, oh, okay. because it leads to it. You know, the big action climax, which Mm. surprisingly there is in this movie, because this movie doesn't seem like it's an action film. No, Until right before the end, Harry is, you know, he's been set up, he's been brought out in the open because Holly said he wanted to meet him. Anna warns him, he bolts, runs into the sewers. And there's a big chase. And that whole sequence is really well done. And it's so tense. And there are It's so, in some ways, confusing, because on part of you is like, you're seeing a lot of it from Harry's perspective. It's like, you kind of want him to get away, maybe, just because, again, we're seeing it from his side. And again, there's the whole captured animal, and just how amazing this gigantic sewer system is. And there are so many policemen after him.
0: In the way it's lit.
1: Yes. The way they use the light and the shadows some point the light's so glaring, you can't see who's there. And the way the sound works, my favorite scene in there is Harry is trying to get away and he's in this sort of central room that has a half a dozen tunnels going off and he can hear the voices of the police and they're all around. He yeah. can't figure out where they are. He's trapped by the sound.
0: Yeah. And the sound in this film is remarkably effective because usually in these situations, everything's overdubbed. Um, is 1949, so the technology isn't as good as it could be. Because let me tell you, there's some 70 films. Most of the early Bond films are overdubbed. Most of the film is overdubbed. And mm. if you're listening with any kind of sound equipment like headphones, it's terrible. But yeah. you can tell they're not in this area. It doesn't sound anything like where they are where they are. The shots in that sequence, the underground, the 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 river and stuff, they sound like they're there. And I don't know if they actually recorded down there or not, but the sound is great, and it shouldn't be.
1: Yeah, there's one shot at the beginning of that sequence that took me out of it a little. When oh. Harry is pulling open the sewer doors to climb down, it looked like it was speeded up. Oh, and hmm. I was like, okay, that looks weird. That starts to look like <laughs> that. That 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 was a problem. It's just it's like a half. A, it's like a second or two, but it it was it was annoying. And that bit at the end where he's, he's been shot and he's dragging himself up the stairs. He can't get out. Holly Martin has cornered him with a gun and he just looks at him and nods like, yeah, yeah. finish it.
0: Well, also, he's Holly has finally actually witnessed himself something that Harry has done. He kills yeah. Bernard Lee's character, the the yeah. sergeant that's who's actually been really nice to Holly and is his yeah. fan and everything. And he's watched... Harry, shoot the guy and kill him. And he takes the sergeant's gun and, and goes off and kills Harry. That little nod, though, again, very, very subtle, but amazingly yeah. effective. Very. And right up to the end, there's just something about Harry Lyme that's charismatic. And yeah, I think yeah. that's why you want him to win, because as horrible a person as he is, you can't look away from He's him.
1: He's fascinating, yeah. It's really hard hard to pull away. Makes but me then wonder we get, the effect, the, the bracket... Because we, we, the film, in effect, opens with a funeral and it closes with the, an actual funeral, because they're pretty sure he's in the coffin this time, <laughs> and we get to that shot we, we wanted to talk about. So Can describe it.
0: So what happens is they're at the grave. Anna is there. She's not looking at anybody. She has a little scoop of dirt. She puts the dirt on Harry's coffin, and then she turns and walks away. Callaway says to Holly, hey, we got to run if we're going to get to that plane. They get in a jeep and they're going down. It is this long, long, long straight road with trees evenly spaced going off into the distance. Tree-lined
1: Avenue. Vienna's famous for this, by the way.
0: Yep. And she is walking towards us, leaving the funeral. They pass her in the jeep. Holly looks over his shoulder and says, "Uh, can we just pull over? And, And Callaway's, we have no time. And he's like, I can't just leave you can't just do that so Callaway pulls over Holly gets out with his bag stands off to the side so he's on the left side of the screen and we have our vanishing point of trees and road and she is literally two minutes down the road and she is walking towards us
1: it's what's called a deep deep focus shot because it's focused way on her way down there
0: And she just walks towards the screen and we're sitting there. What's going to happen? She's going to get up to Holly and it's a Hollywood movie or it's not a Hollywood movie, but it's a movie. So something there's going to be a reconciliation There's going to be something. And she walks towards the camera. She walks towards us with Holly on her side and she keeps walking. Doesn't he even wants. look
1: at him. Nope. Doesn't even look, just walks right past him.
0: And there's leaves gently falling during the scene, which as it turned out, were actually being dropped by people on cranes because it was uh, winter. <laughs> <laughs> but And Holly has lit himself a cigarette and the last thing before it blacks out is he shakes the match and just throws it dejectedly onto the ground because he's lost everything because oh. he sold out. But I think you and I probably agree with what he did. <laughs>
1: I don't think he sold out. He did <laughs> sure the he right thing. He sold thing. out his friend. Yeah, he he turned in a murderer.
0: But this is her perspective. Yeah. He she he sold out her lover, and and she even one point says, I wish Harry was dead. That way he wouldn't have to go through this when she finds out that Harry... That, and of course, when she sees Harry as showing up in the cafe, she says, get out of here.
1: Yeah, she made That's, her first instinct. There's a line she has when she's really mad at Holly... You know, the, the second to last time she sees him, or third to last time at the uh, train station. Mm-hmm. He says, look at your face, they have a name for that kind of face. What do you think that meant? I'm not sure. I thought it, it was Judah's face, the face of the traitor, um, but I don't know for sure. I wasn't sure what she was referring to.
0: Yeah. No, Calloway has another great line that describes Holly Martins. His line is, you were born to be murdered. (laughs) (laughs) There are little bits of humor throughout this film, but they're small. They are. And so they are easily missed. And it is, I won't say it's a depressing film. It's an intriguing film. It's a dark, literally a dark dark film. film, but it's it doesn't make me sad I think it's a really good story of course I'm getting to the end but it, the fact that it's also just as not expected and not Hollywood as it is, especially for 1949 is kind of, kind of what makes it a standout I think but um, I do have a
1: talking point for this series uh, I just got one other scene I want to talk about uh, oh, no yeah get to your
0: scene now we'll do the talking point when you're done.
1: Okay, there is a nice little fake out again. This is, one, this is a sequence that should have been funny, but is just uncomfortable, the whole thing. At one point, he's leaving this hotel, he says, is there a car I can use? He says, oh yes, there's one right out there. And he gets in and this large kind of brutish looking cab driver is in there with him and he just takes off before he can say anything. And he's like pounding on the glass going, Hey, hey, what are you doing? Are you taking me? Did someone hire you to kill me? The guy doesn't answer, and you're like, Oh, man, he's being kidnapped. Oh, what's happening? No, he's being dropped off at at this thing he agreed to speak at, this, like, council for the arts who wanted him to come and give a lecture about books. And it's like, Oh, that should have been funny, but it's not. It's just weird. And even and the whole thing he's so unprepared and people are asking him these ridiculous like do you believe in this stream of consciousness? The the what? (laughs) (laughs) Which first of all, what that's not a question. It's like do I believe it exists? Sure, you mean do I believe in it as a writing style or you know who are your influence and he's obviously we don't thankfully we don't see his whole presentation, but it's obvious he completely tanks it.
0: Yeah, everyone's leaving. So, and then and, 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 and poor Wilfred Hyde-White can't end the meeting quickly enough. And being British, he has to do it officially. It's like, ah, oh, well, if there are no other questions, I think we can call this meeting over. And it's like everyone's left.
1: Yeah, And he's just yeah. like
0: holding his head in his hands.
1: And again, in another movie that might be funny in this, it just heightens the tension because he's so uncomfortable and he so doesn't want to be there.
0: Yeah, he's just and it's totally a remark- focused on the yeah, one
1: thing. It's a very, I think, very effective scene in a very surprising way.
0: I will also say that plot wise, this feels, although it's not a Western, it feels a lot like something he might write about. Like this, it's a very noir, pulpy kind of plot. And yeah. I, I think that actually really plays well with the character of Holly Martins. Um, but I do have that talking point yeah. if you're. Let's talk about that. Point? Um, for the series, would this movie have been better or worse in color?
1: I. Think it would have been worse. I don't really yeah. think there's a question. This thing, this is a, a pain to uh, black and white photo- cinematography. The way it uses light and shadow would have been completely undercut if they'd also used color. I didn't need to know what color the balloons were, the balloon man had. <laughs> In fact, the fact that they all looked gray w- really worked. It's this gr- black, white, and gray world that we're seeing. I, I absolutely should. This, this works with black and white. It would not work as color.
0: And you know those balloons? I still see them in cheap, th- like chalky colors of yellow and red. Uh, you know, that mm. sort of knockoff okay. color. Yep. I, even though they're black and white, I can just see it's like, yeah, they look terrible. Okay. But why are you selling balloons at 10 o'clock? I yeah. agree. I think that, and this I think is where limitations because of course they could have shot this in color, but it was just too expensive at the time. You really saved that for tent pole movies in the forties. Uh. It was still pretty much black and white, and this is back when you took that limitation, you really made it work for you, so the whole feeling of the and they actually was they were trying to do a remake sometime in the nineties, I think it was, and thankfully that went away. I think that if you're going to use color, you should be using it in a certain way. So I think Lord of the Rings, for example, started using computers to both desaturate and saturate colors for specific reasons. And that worked really well when they did that. But here, the whole film's about black and white, right? Like, you have to decide, is Harry black? There's no shade of gray with Harry, really. He may want you to think there is, but in the end, there really isn't. It's the dark side of things or the light side of things and you gotta pick and that's what this film looks like and that's what it's all about yeah but what this show's about is us deciding <laughs> whether we liked it or not should we get to that part Max
1: oh let's this will be such a shock <laughs> The Finish so Max yeah
0: you said you think you, th- you showed it in a movie marathon at some yes. point maybe like the 90s at some point
1: or? I, yeah sure
0: so that's the first time you saw it do you remember yes. what you thought the first time you saw it
1: yeah, I thought it was amazing. I thought it was really good. I And now I I think it's I like it even better. I, I think it's just improved with age. Yeah. I, I Yeah, I think it's terrific. What about you? When did you first... You first saw it with your father.
0: Yeah, in the 70s. I'm going to guess probably around 75.
1: So Have you it was, seen it since? Oh, yeah.
0: I own it on okay. Blu-ray. I've watched it many times. Uh, I can't remember how many times I've seen this film. Every once in a while, I'm just in the mood for this kind of film. And the sad thing is, is that there's very few films that fit this feeling. Although it's a very different film, I actually think it's not entirely unlike Casablanca. We're in the same time period, more or less. We're dealing with things like the the black market. We're dealing with desperate people trying to get out of a place they're stuck in.
1: A lot of people with German accents.
0: Well, yeah. Very different film, but there's still... To me, there's still a connectivity between them. And I honestly think it's at least as good a movie, but it's just so different. We don't think of it the same way. But it's not as well known. Yeah. Again, I, it's not a film we tend to talk about. I think people in the know put it into their pop culture. Like, you'd, I'm sure there's an episode somewhere of The Simpsons that deals with the third man or the zither, right? We didn't even talk about this. Or so what, well, what do you think of the, the zither music?
1: Honestly, I found it annoying. That was really? the one thing I didn't like about it. It was very intrusive, and maybe it was the way it was mixed, but it often was incredibly loud. Hmm. And like, Zither music over a funeral is just weird. Sometimes I think it worked, but overall, it was just a little baffling.
0: So we're going to disagree about that. Um, I really like it because not only is it incredibly memorable, especially the theme to the film, which was a huge hit, but it had that... Sort of cheapness that you would expect of the time and the place, it has a sort of Eastern European feel, and it feels like, well, we don't have resources here in war torn Vienna, we have this. And so, for me, that's why it works. And I, it's actually not present in a lot of places. There's a couple of times where it is kind of like the Donna monument, but it's done with twang twang (laughs) because that's you know, that's all you got. But in general, I really liked it. So, fair enough. So, yeah, big recommendation. It is not a quick yeah. film. Nope. You can't just sit down and, and you know, look it, at the explosions. Cause, it's uh, not
1: it's, that long. I mean, it's like an hour and 45 minutes or so. But, yeah, you, this, yeah this one is you got to sit down and focus. This yeah. isn't something you play in the background.
0: But I think that if you give it that chance, this could easily end up being one of your favorite films as well. It's got so much going for it, really. it's
1: a lot. It's remarkable. So, but what we also have going for us is our poll question. We Would you do. you remind
0: us? I will. And even better, we have your answers coming next week to the question of what is your favorite black and white film? When does color just not matter because black and white is all you need? Do let us know and please let us know in one of the following ways. Currently, we are still on Twitter, although I think that's going to come to an end because that that man, I can't deal with that man. So we are currently on Facebook and the other thing as Max Mike Movies. We have our own website, maxmikemovies.com, where you can find all of our previous episodes and places to comment on them. Tell us if you think we're right, we're wrong, answer our poll question or heck give us ideas for things you'd like us to cover or series even because we've done that before we have and lastly you can email us directly at us at maxmikemovies.com and for a limited time forever you can get extra bumpy bucks by emailing us directly because we love to get email yes but we're just in the beginning of this journey max we're we gonna are. see some black and white films what black and white film are we gonna see next week
1: like i, I already told you
0: N- no you didn't
1: Geez, I did. Are you okay? I I'm, told I'm, you like three, four times during this show.
0: Max, you have not mentioned the film. I film's
1: absolutely name. did. I told you the title. No, they all know. No, that if you listen to the no. recordings, you, I, I'm, well, I'm, I'm worried about you, Mike. To, I think you need I, to sit down. Well, maybe you did.
0: Um, oh, yeah, man, I am I getting th- a little older. I guess uh, maybe I forgot. Well, gee, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. You, I forgot. Uh, I feel terrible. Could you? Uh, t- I, is it too much to ask to tell me again?
1: jeez, I don't know if I really should.
0: Oh, I think I'm offended. Yeah. I'm sorry, this is all my fault. I can't yes, believe yes, I did it this. Is.
1: You might hey, wait a minute. Say- Are you <laughs> gaslighting me? That is exactly right, because that's what we're going to watch next week. <laughs> Gaslight. A movie whose title has become ubiquitous. It's a, a major linguistic term now in the American vernacular, but uh, I, I'm wondering how many people have actually seen the movie. Not me. Or wait, yeah. did I? I, <laughs> d- did I see it, Max? Tell me, you'd know. Tune in next week and I'll play with Mike's brains some more. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.